there's more to this life than I thought. And James inspires me. The things he says have encouraged me. It's like there's a walk, there's a path, and it's leading to something more real than I've ever known before, and it's exciting. I get around James and I hear things that help me in my life, my work. This work he talks about has become my work. I am excited about the possibility that other people could be affected, other people could be inspired to work on themselves, to grow, to, to realize there's more to this life. Today, I would like to speak to you about the time body. The work speaks of a time body, but it's not to be confused with the physical body that is stuck in time and space. Maurice Nicole said, if your time body is full of internal accountings, it is in a bad state. Our condition is such, this is no longer Maurice Nicole, this is James Parkinson, our condition is such that we don't recognize our bad states because we take ourselves for granted. We don't understand what it means to take ourselves for granted. So I talk about it a lot, but people don't really get it. We don't get that we take ourselves for granted. If we did, everything would be very different for us. <clears throat> Taking ourselves for granted is like not knowing our own odor, not being able to see our own habitual thought patterns, not being able to see our own negative emotions, even when we're in them, unless they're very strong, overpowering. Then we can see them. But usually only after they've captured us, after we've fallen into the trap, after the snare has been closed on us and we're caught, we're trapped, then, then we see. But we don't see anything other than we're negative. We don't see anything other than we're trapped. But because we take it for granted, we think there's no other way for us. We think, well, we have to be trapped. What else could we be? This is what we are. This is where we are. And so we're stuck there. But uh, there's a way out. Not knowing our own odor, that's, you know, it's like everybody knows you smell except you. You don't know what you smell like. Everybody else knows what you smell like because you've become accustomed to it. You've taken it for granted that it no longer bothers you. You don't know what your breath smells like. You don't know what you smell like. But someone else who's not as familiar with you, they smell you. They, they know what it's like. But we take ourselves for granted. That's what that means, taking yourself for granted. Because of this, we're caught unaware by life's streaming events. And we fall automatically into negative states without knowing how we got there. Or even that we are there most of the time. It takes a tremendous amount of self-observation and self-knowledge to know when we're negative. We don't know when we're negative as a rule. We only know through self-observation, proper self-observation, when we become negative. And in the beginning, there's nothing we can do about it. We just, we're just negative, and the best we can do is see it and say, okay, I'm negative. And after that comes, okay, it is negative. And we start to see that there's a little bit of space, maybe just enough space to slide a piece of paper between ourselves, our observing eye, and the negative state what we're seeing that's negative. We don't even know why, but we see it. And that is the beginning of separation. The time body differs in that it exists in more than one time, while the physical body does not. 
The physical body is right here, right now. It can't be in the past and in the future. It can only be right here, right now. But the time body is different. It can be in the past, it can be in the future, and it can be in the present, or it can be in the past, and part of it in the future, and part of it in the present. So there is more acting on the time body than on the physical body. And we don't know it. We take it for granted, being unaware of it. We don't know what a time body is. We, we hear the words, but we don't know what it is. And so, <clears throat> this is what this is about. This is what we're going to discuss today. This is what we'll, we'll not discuss, but this is what I'm going to talk about today. <sighs> when we marry, for example, we know the physical bodies marry, but we don't recognize that our time bodies have married as well. And eventually the problems surface. Why is it that so many relationships go south? Why is it that so many relationships end in divorce? Why is it that so many relationships, we're in the relationship and it's all romance in the beginning. It's all wonderful. It's all hearts and flowers. It's all beautiful. But it doesn't take long before we start to see the real you. That's the first thing we say. Aha, now I see the real you. Now I see what you really like. And all that means is that we were blind. We were looking at just the physical body. We were looking at just what we could see. And we didn't see. We, we, did, we failed to recognize that we have time bodies and that they married at the same time the physical bodies married. And eventually the problems come to the surface. She or he may look great physically, but have a negative time body full of internal encounters. The romance will vanish and the war will ensue. The physical body will change through time. The time body, though, it must be transformed through work on yourself now. The only time you can work on yourself is now. You can't work on yourself in the past. You can't work on yourself in the future. But notice how many of us work on ourselves in the future. Yes, I'm going to do that. Shortly, yes, in just a, just a few minutes, but I've got to do this first. I've got to do that first. We have so many things that we need to do first before we begin to work on ourselves now. How? By stopping this mechanical way of taking ourselves in life. But we don't do that. We don't stop ourselves by, of, of taking life in a mechanical way. We, we don't do that. We continue to just let it roll and let it roll and let it roll. We let the inertia of life carry us forward. We just let the wheel that is spinning continue to spin because it's easier that way. It's kind of like a gyroscope. You spin a gyroscope and it, it's very difficult to tilt it because it wants to center itself. It wants to stay like a top spinning. And so it's hard to to tilt it, to move it. it. There's this force working against you. And that's the way it is with us. Our time body is this force and it's working against us or for us. But usually in our condition, it's working against us because we have not begun to purify it. We've not begun to transform it. And this is part of the work, but we don't understand this, but we can understand it. And so... If you work on yourself now, you take things more consciously now, preventing yourself from mechanical reactions. What kind of mechanical reactions? We have the mechanical reactions of bitterness. We have mechanical reactions of anger. We have mechanical reactions of fear. 
if we're willing to work on those, to take those things more consciously, when you find yourself in bitterness, to wake up a little bit from that, to look at it, to say, if I'm negative, it's no one's fault but my own. When we find ourselves angry, we have to say, I did this to me. No one is doing this to me. I did this to me. We find ourselves in fear. What do we try to do? We try to get rid of the source of the fear. But we look at the source of our fear as something outside of us. But it's not something outside of us. It's within us. We have taken in the impressions in the wrong way. We let them fall on tiny, mechanical parts of centers, negative parts of centers. And so the inertia of that carries us down, down, down. But our conscious effort begins to transform our future and our past, and it begins to heal the time body. When we heal the time body in the now, the only time that we can work on the time body, it reaches back into the past and it heals it there. It reaches into the future and it heals it there. Because the time body exists in the past, in the future, and in the now. But it can only be worked on in the now. You notice what comes, but you don't agree with it. So, the streaming events of life, they come to you. You notice what comes up. You notice what reactions come up in you. You notice that when that person looks at you that way, or when this person doesn't show their gratitude, or when this person disrespects you, you notice your reaction to that. But you don't agree with it. That's all. This is the key. Do not go with the little eyes mechanically. You need this space so that you have just a moment, just a moment to be able to, to choose rather than react directly like that. Bang! You just react like we do most of the time. The work creates this little space inside of you. It gives you this, this delay, just like this podcast. I'll stop talking. When I've stopped talking... There will be a delay. And maybe five minutes later, I will have stopped. And you'll be listening to what I said five minutes ago when I've stopped. So there's that delay. You'll have an opportunity as you're listening. You'll be asking yourself questions. But I will be gone already. I will have already stopped and turned it off. And when you ask the question, it'll be five minutes after I stopped talking. So it's that, it's like that. There's this delay that the work creates in you, this time delay, this echo. When you begin to hear the echo, you see this coming in and it's like suddenly, because of the work, it acts like honey or molasses. And the impression coming in has to go through that honey and it slows the impression down. It's almost like it comes through in slow motion and it gives you time to decide where to direct it, where to let it go, what to do with it, how to transform it. What will I do with this bitterness? What will I do with this anger? What will I do with this fear? Will I make the effort to transform it? Or will I just let it come through because I'm lazy now or I'm asleep now? Or I don't want to make the effort now. I'm too tired. Or maybe it's still moving too quickly for us. Or perhaps we justify it. I have the right to be angry. I have the right to be bitter. Anyone would be afraid. Self-justification. What a mistake. 
To observe yourself, you need a certain detachment from yourself. You've got to be able to step apart from yourself. You've got to be able to not think of all this as happening to you yourself, but as happening to someone else. You're just watching it. This begins the transformational process. If you take something negatively, you must observe and acknowledge without self-justification. This is what creates the inner space and time. You see how this thing you call yourself behaves. You look at it, and you look at how it behaves, and you decide to go with it or not to go with it. And if its behavior is not up to the par of your work and your understanding of the work, then you don't go with it. Just simply do not go with it. If, on the other hand, this thing that you call yourself behaves in a way that agrees with the work, and that happens too. There are parts of you, there are better eyes in you that agree with the work and they respond to life's streaming events in a positive way, in a, in a beneficial way. You look at that too and you say, okay, that I'll go with. So, this is what we have to do. This is our work. But unfortunately, we are so full of self-justification because of self-love pride and vanity. We want to protect our precious little own self. We want to protect this myself. But we have to observe sincerely as if you are not one. So you observe sincerely and you observe as if you are not one. What does that mean? You know. You hold in your mind this great work idea I am not one, but many. And when you observe yourself as not one, by, but many, you have, this, you have this ability, this time and this space to be able to see, well, that is not I, or that is not I. You don't necessarily know what you are. You don't know what is observing it. You don't have to know that. But you know that you or something is observing what you have usually called yourself, what you have usually taken for granted as yourself. This is the portal. This is the gate through which we must pass in order for transformation to begin. If you agree with all that you observe, taking yourself for granted, taking yourself as right, taking all of your opinions as truth, you're not observing properly. If you are so sure that what you see is the truth, you can be counted, <laughs> you can be sure of one thing, you're deceived, you're deceiving yourself. If you can be adaptable, if you can be flexible, if you can say, eh, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm wrong, maybe you're right. It's something to look at, it's something to observe, it's something to wait and see about. We'll see, we don't know. If you can do that, then you're observing yourself properly. Then the work will work for you. Then you will draw force and power from on high, from higher emotional, higher intellectual centers, as the work calls it. You'll pull force down, and it will pull you up at the same time. You'll be nourished. You'll be empowered. That's being a man-machine, suffering uselessly again and again if you do not observe yourself. If you take yourself for granted, you can't be called a man. The best you can be called is a man-machine. 
suffering uselessly over and over again, not understanding your meaning, not understanding the purpose in this life, then you are said in this work to be either sleeping or dead. Our choice is to feed the acquired part of ourselves or to feed the created part of ourselves. There is a part of you that was created. There is a part of you that has been acquired in life. Your choice and your only choice is to feed one or the other. Will you feed the acquired part of yourself by going with the flow, by going with what you have acquired, by allowing yourself to take yourself for granted, to go with the bitterness, to go with the anger, to go with the fear? Or will you place the work ideas between you and incoming impressions? Let those work ideas filter those impressions. Let them transform their energy, transform them and lift them up so that they can nourish the higher creative part of you, created part of you. What good is food if you can't digest it? <laughs> what good is food if you can't digest it? You could eat and eat and eat and eat and eat. Yeah, we have a question. How can you distinguish between your real self and your acquired self? You can't. The only thing you can know is that everything is false personality. Now find out what isn't. And what you do is you begin to sort out your negative emotions. You begin to take the work as your guide. And the work tells you what to observe. It shows you what is negative. It tells you that hatred of any kind is negative. It tells you that malice of any kind is negative. It tells you that self-emotions of any kind are negative. Why are they negative? They don't seem negative. Why are they negative? Why is looking out for ourselves negative? Because it's based in self-love and self-emotions and self is separate, separate from others, to be protected, to be guarded. And when you protect and you guard, you have already made everything else your enemy. To make something your enemy is not to love it. It's to have an aversion for it, to hate it, to push it away from you. That, that is acquired. This does not come from your real self. Your real eye, your true nature, your created nature is created out of love. It comes from above. And so your true nature is love. What kind of love? The kind of love that we have here on this earth that turns to hate? That leaves other people out? No, not at all. That's not love. That's just another negative emotion. How do we know it's a negative emotion? Because it has an opposite. How is it that you can love someone today and hate them tomorrow? Because it's a negative emotion. It can turn into its opposite. But real love cannot turn into its opposite because it has no opposite. Real love includes everything. There is nothing to hate with real love because real love is unity. And it embraces the unity of all life, of everything that exists, of all beingness, because it knows the source of all beingness. And so it embraces it all. There is no self. There is just the oneness. 
Uh, these ideas, you see, this is why we can't distinguish between real self and acquired self, because all we know is acquired self. We'll have to experience our real self. And the only way to experience our real self is to purify our emotional center. And the only way to purify our emotional center is to begin bit by bit to clean out this infestation of negative emotions that sully us, that sully the emotional center, and make it unfit for anything coming from higher emotional center. This is why the work says <laughs> we start with the intellectual center because your emotional center is dead. So can you say that when you externally consider others, when you don't want to hurt them, that you are more in touch with real, your real self? Is there self-love in that? Well, of course, it depends on your intention. If your intention in considering others, not wanting to hurt them, is so that they will leave you alone, so that they won't hurt you, then it's self-interest, it's self-love. Of course, there's self-love in that. But again, this is the same thing. We're trying to find real I. And the only way to find real I for us is to begin to remove what is not real. That is our goal. That is our path. Our path is one of deduction, not addition. We reduce, we purify, we cleanse, we comb out the negative emotions bit by bit. We comb out the rottenness that is in the emotional center. The rottenness, for example, of self-justifying. So like I said, we have a choice and our choice is to feed the acquired part of ourselves or to feed the created part of ourselves. Since we don't know what the created part of ourselves is, if we withhold nourishment from the acquired part of ourselves, then that nourishment will go to the created part of ourselves, real I. It will go to our essential self and it will begin to develop. You don't know how to do that. You don't have to know how to do that. You don't know how to eat a carrot and turn it into blood and turn it into tissue cells and eye cells and skin cells and liver cells and heart cells. You don't know how to do that. But there is something in you, some intelligence in you that does know how to do that and it does it effortlessly without you knowing anything about it. And so this is the same thing. You just take care of sorting out the negative emotions and not going with the little mechanical eyes. All the rest of this will be taken care of for you the same way that you eat the food. You take it, you find it, you wash it, you put it to your mouth, you chew it, you swallow it, and the rest is out of your hands. There's nothing else you'd have to do about that. And this is what the work is like. You take the work in, you find it, you wash it, you make sure that you've made it pure and clean as it can be without adding your grimy hands to it and your grimy fingers to it and rolling it in the dirt of your negative emotions and using it for your own selfish ends, your own selfish purposes to manipulate other people, to manipulate life, to gain something from life. You don't use it. You don't take the truth, the stones, and turn them into bread. That's the first temptation. Don't do that. You wash it. You chew it up. The digestive process starts. What is the first step in the digestive process? Chewing. People don't chew. Mixing en enzymes with the food to begin the process. People chew or not according to what they have developed, to what, 
what, what they have acquired. A simple example is introducing people to chewing. How difficult it is physically. It's hugely difficult. If I say to you, for, for example, here where I'm staying here, my host, he is a, he's a grazer. He walks around all day long stuffing food in his mouth. So I made a couple of, I gave him a couple of tasks. If you're going to eat, sit down, put it on a plate, eat it consciously, pick it up, look at it, put it in your mouth and chew it. Chew it 50 times before you swallow it. Do you have any idea how difficult it is to chew each mouth full of food 50 times? You would think it would be easy to count to 50, wouldn't you? But look at how quickly you go to sleep when you get around food. You instantaneously go to sleep. Food puts us to sleep because we use it for the wrong reasons. We use it to comfort ourselves. We use it to divert ourselves. We use it to distract ourselves. We use it to, to lull ourselves into sleep. Food is like a lullaby for us. Who eats food that they don't like? Very few people. And when you're hungry, when you're really hungry, there's no such thing as food that you don't like. It's only when you're fat that you have the luxury of saying, I don't like this, I don't want to eat this. And if you're really hungry, there is no food. You'll eat out of a garbage can. There is no food that is not good. People don't chew because they haven't acquired that. So I introduce people to chewing. And it's a difficult physical task, but it's even more difficult esoterically. But we have to take steps. To chew, one must remember oneself. One must remember the goal of chewing 50 times per mouthful. Try it. Count it out and see how quickly you go to sleep around food. Notice how tedious it becomes to the false personality. Why do I have to do this? This is ridiculous. This won't go anywhere. This is absurd. He's just trying to dominate and control me. I don't have to believe this. Where did Gurdjieff say this? Where is this in esoteric writings? I don't have to do this. Listen to how much the false personality objects, how it wants to get on with life. I don't have time for this. It's just food. I'm just eating. Leave me alone. This has nothing at all to do with my development. This is only physical. Impressions are the food of the inner man. If we swallow them whole without chewing and mixing the work ideas with them, we get no nourishment for the inner man. We get no nourishment at all. Just the same way as if we don't chew food. You swallow it whole, you get almost nothing out of it. You have to chew it. You mix the enzymes with it. The enzymes begin the digestive process. They begin to break it down into smaller and smaller parts so that your system can use it and transform it, raise its level, raise its vibration so that it can feed the tiny parts of the body that need to be fed. It's the same thing esoterically. This is the only way. You have to mix the work, just like the enzymes in your saliva, with the ideas, the work ideas, just like, and the work ideas are like the food that you eat, like the physical food that you eat. That's how you get nourishment for the inner man. Nicole said, a person who observes himself sincerely observes himself without rottenness. If you justify yourself, you're lying, and your self-observation has rottenness, the rottenness of self-justifying. Why is it rotten? 
Because it will not allow the food to be digested. An undigested food rots. You admit nothing about yourself. You remain blind to what you did and said. When you justify yourself, you're not admitting anything about yourself. You're just staying in the dark. Everything that you do and you say, you remain blind to it. You can't see what you're like. Nothing changes. You repeat it over and over again. It is said your teeth are rotten because you mix no light with your impressions. And the light is the light of consciousness. But self-justifying dims the light of consciousness. It puts the light of consciousness out by, by putting something in front of it. It's like putting, it's like pulling the, 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 the blinds or a curtain in front of the window so that the light is out there, but it can't come in. Self-justifying is like that. It blocks the light so that nothing changes. It blocks the light so that your impressions cannot be filled with the light. They cannot come into the light. When you block the light of consciousness, you block your own cure. You could be healed, but as long as you justify yourself, you will never be healed. You'll never digest impressions properly. You'll never nourish your essential self. You'll never transform from imaginary I into what awaits you. There's something that awaits you. There was some meaning for you. There's a reason for you to be here. You have a purpose. You were created for a purpose. You came here for a purpose. What is that purpose? Do you know your purpose? Can you tell me what your purpose is? Yeah, I have to earn money. Yeah, I have to have to be a good householder. This is the first this is the first stumbling block of the work. People find this work and they use it as, a, as an excuse to better their position in the world. I have to become a good householder. That's why I need more money. That's why I need this. That's why I need that. The first pitfall. They take the truth, they take the stone truth, the very basic truth, and they try to turn it into bread. And what do they feed? They feed their acquired self with it. They don't feed, they don't nourish the inner man. They feed their acquired self with it. They go off, they go off the right path. They go off the path that leads to transformation. They just find a way to use the work in the world. They take the B influences and they turn them into A, a influences. And so they never really find the C influences. But there is something that awaits you. That is what's prepared for you. You know, in the esoteric writings of the Gospels, Jesus is made to say, I go to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I would have told you. So the conscious circle of humanity has gone ahead of us and they have prepared a place for us. And they have their hands out waiting waiting to take our hands and help us along the way. Not to, not to do it for us, but to help us along the way, to steady us, to guide us, to lead us, to lend us the encouragement and the strength that we need in our darkest hour. But we have to get to a certain place before we can do that, before we can receive that, before we can reach their hands, as it were. All this is metaphorical. Don't take this too literally. Try not to pay too much attention to the words. As Gurdjieff said, the words are not important. Don't pay too much attention to the words. Try and catch the meaning behind the words. 
it's interesting being here in Macedonia because I don't speak Macedonian. It's worse than Greek to me. <laughs> I hear it and they rattle it off so quickly. Today, one of my companions was speaking to the other one in Macedonian very, very quickly. <clears throat> and then she said, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm sorry I'm speaking this way to him. I'll, I'll try and translate. I said, you don't need to translate. She just looked at me and I told her everything that she said, not word for word, but I told her the meaning of everything she said. And she just shook her head. Yes, yes, that's right. Da, 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 da. That's right. That's yes, yes. And of course, you don't pay attention to the words. You catch the meaning behind the words. That's how it works. And it does work. But, you, but, you know, everybody here, we're all doubting Thomases. We want to stick our fingers in the nail prints. We want to put our hand in the side or we won't believe in the side, the wound in the side, or we won't believe. But it's not, the truth is not belligerent. The truth says, fine, reach forth your finger. Put them here, put your finger here in the nail print. Here, reach forth your hand. Put your hand in the wound in my side. Feel it. Experience it. And turn your faithlessness into faith. Everything is prepared for us. Everything is given. It's waiting for us. But we have to do our part. So, transformation. What does that mean? It means transforming from something into something. Transforming from something into something else. That something else is real. And it already exists. It's fully developed, just like higher intellectual and higher emotional centers. It's fully developed. Now, the conscious circle of humanity, higher intellectual and higher emotional centers, the higher beings, if you will, are beaming their influences to us all the time. But our receivers are tuned to the discord coming through the five senses. And so we don't hear it. We don't receive it. We can't communicate. We can't feel it. We can't experience it. And so we lack and we justify ourselves and we stay the same and we keep waiting for something to change us. But this is self-development. We must have a real glimpse of ourselves. This is the first step. You've got, to, you've got to walk by a mirror and accidentally see yourself and be shocked at what you see. This comes through grace. This is why Gurdjieff said, we must wish to remember ourselves. And he didn't mean, well, I wish I had a, I wish I had a million dollars. No, he means a strong, powerful wish, a yearning, a deep, deep yearning from the depths of ourselves. I wish to remember myself. I yearn to remember myself. I long to remember myself. If you see how negative you've been to others and you justify it, you gain nothing you see what garbage people are and you see how negative they are and you see how hateful they are and you see what they do to you and you just justify what you do back to them you gain nothing if you have good teeth you take a bite out of the false personality you start to chew it up you swallow it you digest it and you nourish the essential part of you only when you begin to observe how negative you've been can you begin to apply the work to yourself? Can you begin to transform your time body, the past, the present, and the future?
Only then will this work begin to be applied to you. If you start to take what happens to you from a work point of view, you'll begin to remember yourself. It will come naturally. It will come. Then you can begin to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, thought by thought, eye by eye, event by event. Just a little consciousness leads to more. If you are sincere, if you are willing to take that first hit, if you're willing to not justify yourself, to not defend yourself, but to accept what you observe without judgment, without criticism, without animosity, without self-pity, in the clear light of consciousness, look at it as if you were looking at a rock, as if you were looking at today and in that the monastery, there was a lizard crawling along the rocks in the sun. I said, look, this lizard, somebody already got his tail once, but it's growing back. He escaped one time. Something was after him and got his tail, but he, he escaped. He was willing to leave his tail behind, and he got away. And now he's growing a new tail, and this is what will happen to you. You, when the, when the work grabs a negative eye, a negative part of you, a little mechanical part of you, let it go. Give it up. Lose your tail. Lose that part of yourself. And when you grow a new one back, you'll grow it back in a better image, in the image and likeness of your essential self, if you are sincere. Remember, no matter what your circumstance, you can work. Sometimes your work is to work yourself out of that circumstance. Sometimes your work is to work in that circumstance until the proper time and at that time, you can work yourself out of it. This whole idea of shackling yourself to your misery, to your pain, to your agony, to your suffering is absurd. What is the one thing that we don't want to give up? The one thing that defines us that we're unwilling to give up. We're, willing, we're unwilling to sacrifice our suffering. And what does the world want you to do? The world wants you to suffer. All the world wants you to suffer. Why? Because your suffering feeds it. Because it is eating your suffering. It is eating your misery. And it wants you to stay. So it, it tells you, no, no. You're a coward if you run away from it. I say, don't run away from it. Face it and choose. Choose where you will suffer. Choose where you will die. Choose your battle wisely, according to the, what the work tells you. Use the wisdom and the light of consciousness to choose properly. We can work. Often the practical application of these ideas sounds like it's going to be easy. The ideas sound great. When we actually run into a situation or a person who's being a little more difficult than we'd like, we find it's not as easy as we thought it was going to be. If you've hit a snag with some aspect of this work and its practical application in your everyday life, I invite you to write James at solidrockvista.com. Sometimes a fresh perspective is all it takes to get us back on the right track.